I actually have this issue now where I don't know what my natural state of body kind of is. For most of us, we have a good idea of like what our nat- body naturally looks like. But for me, I have no idea because it started way before I was even fully developed. And that is something that I still have to deal with now, whether or not I can reproduce. Obviously, I still have acne, hormonal acne sometimes. I'm 25 years old. And I kind of thought that at this age, it'd be like a thing where I could be like, I'm an adult now. I don't have that anymore. But these are real things that I still deal with. And I wish I didn't have to, but that's kind of the consequence of it. So I feel like if people talked about that more versus just being like, look, if you ate less, you could be skinny or whatever it is you wanted to be, um, that this is the real consequence of what could happen. I would hope that less people would see that as a solution to, you know, bad body image. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it's officially spring. May has never felt better because now the sun will hopefully be out way more often and everything is easier to manage in nice weather, eh? At least my opinion. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in today. Wanted to start this episode out on a happy note because it is spring. It's May. It's a month, you know, full of new potential. And I just really hope that you're having a good day and that this episode gives you some good vibes, good energy feels. Um, you know, another perk of this improving weather conditions besides my improved mood. I mean, it's, we're here on the East Coast. Let's be real. Seasonal depression is real. So, If these intros start to be a bit more upbeat, that's amazing and know that it's because of the weather. Um, But another perk is that I've been able to read more. Uh, What a concept, you know? I always figured that with the winter and cozy days of East Coast weather, I would read more in the beginning of 2020, but I never did. (laughs) Um, Now though, with the sun and the warmer temperatures, I just find myself taking these little breaks all throughout the day, well, not all throughout the day, I mean like twice a day, to go outside and just read a chapter or two of my book. And it's just so fun and restorative for my energy, my mood, and my mind. Uh, So currently, I'm reading When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron, if I'm saying her name right. Um, I'll have it linked below though. So I found the book through Olivia Nosita when she was on the podcast. You guys know her on Instagram as Olive Eats. She's always talking about this book and it's really been popping up a lot lately. It seems to be the book of the time. And so I had to try, of course. Uh, And I will say it's taken me by surprise. So it's a small book when you get it. And at first I just kind of thought it would be another like self-help book. I didn't know if I'd be able to get through it, but it's not. Like it's so expansive. It's amazing. Uh, So what's so neat is that the book is small, but it's because the chapters are just short, simple, and to the point. There's no BS. There's no fluff. The author just gets straight to the point, which I appreciate. It's less time that you're spending reading, like, filler text and just getting, like, she's just getting straight to the message. Uh, The language is strong. She uses a lot of, you know, analogies and ways to compare that really hit home uh, in ways that reading fluff language 
doesn't, you know? Uh, you just get a strong message and takeaway from every single chapter. Uh, so loving that book, it's been teaching me a lot. I love like reading a chapter and then journaling about it. Highly recommend for anyone that's just looking to really expand, feel different, you know, like think different, just open your heart to more things. It's like a deep dive into your soul, but fun, you know, she uses a lot of fun language. So, um, but besides that, I have like nine other books waiting to be read. So stay tuned as the weather improves. I'm hoping to be reading more and more and I'll have updates on all of those because I think books are just an amazing gift we are given and <laughs> provide so much, you know, information and inspiration. So stay tuned. But otherwise, yeah, you know, this year is flying by. I've got lots of books to read. And even with all the turmoil that 2020 has given us, it's also shown us just how strong and resilient we can be, which is a message that perfectly aligns with today's guest, Remy Park of Veggiekins. Now, I'm going to just dive right into what this episode is about, give you guys an idea of what you can expect. And so, with that, we all know that addiction can be found in a plethora of ways. And so in this episode, Remy shares her experience with two kinds of addiction, actually. And this is the one of an eating disorder and then also a relationship to alcohol. This is a, you know, dual topic that I've never had on the podcast before. So I'm interesting, interested to hear how you guys receive it, how it resonates. Like, please let me know. So anyone that has dealt with either of these addictions will know that it's not easy to recover from them. But before that, it's not easy to even accept you have them. So let alone, you know, share that experience with an entire audience on Instagram to speak on panels about them or to do podcast after podcast about them, which is why I just want to right here and right now thank Remy with so much gratitude that she's open to sharing and helping others through her struggles and story. And what's great about Remy is that not only does she share her journey, but she just also has such a graceful way of sharing it. She's able to see the silver lining, so to speak, the good and the bad, the light and the dark, and that's a beautiful gift because she can relate her story to others not only resonating with them, but helping them, guiding them along the way. And so Remy shares how her journey with how alcohol began. And this was about the time when she was 12, I believe. So she wasn't living in the U.S. Laws were different. And she explains how it morphed over time from, you know, fun drinking to intense and eventually to the point where she knew like, oh shit, this is a problem. Uh, becoming sober was a long road, but one that proved worth it, as she's now been completely free, sober, and still has fun in a social life, which I absolutely love, because that is the messaging that society does not give us about alcohol. Like, it's more like you have to have alcohol to have fun, and Remy is all about the fact that you don't indeed need it. Uh, so then the eating disorder came in the midst of it all. And in this, we don't discuss it too much as there's already so much discussion about it, but we do discuss the recovery of it. And more so, a fascinating fact to me, how she went vegan while recovering. Now, if this is triggering to you, I'm sorry, but she doesn't really say anything that would be triggering, at least in my mind. She just shares her experience with how choosing to go vegan for the animals, not for any dietary meanings, really helped her in her recovery. And you'll hear how she did that. So as a snippet, she explains how like when she was working with the people helping her recover, she 
wasn't allowed to use vegan as like a restriction. So, I mean, you guys know as well as I do, there's still lots of the more processed foods that are considered vegan. And so she was still able to eat fully, freely, even while vegan. That might not make as much sense coming from my mouth, but she does a great job of explaining it, so just stay tuned. Um, So yeah, I'm just going to say if anyone can be an inspiration in recovery, it is Remy. She's so natural, so free with food, and that's inspiring, you know, to me and I hope to many others too. Um, And if you'd ever like to try this, her tips for recovering while making any sort of food lifestyle change is spot on. As with everything, however, this is the advice and experience of just two people. At the end of the day, you do you with support from whoever you need it from. You know, professionals, experts, doctors, therapists, whoever. Uh, Whatever serves you best. Uh, Understanding your personality and how you think can also be a huge help for this, just putting that out there. Um, So if you want to follow Remy, learn more about her, be inspired, empowered, check out her beautiful feed and delicious recipes. She is on Instagram at VeggieKins and I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. We would love to connect. Please tag and share. If you listen, let us know what resonated. Also, I've started a Facebook group for the podcast. Now, I'm new to this. I'm like a grandma at heart. I don't know how to use Facebook properly, so if I'm doing something wrong, please let me know. Otherwise, to join some more discussion, community, well, at least I'm trying to build that, so let's get started, folks. Um, you can go on Facebook, search for Let's Thrive, and just join my group, I guess. That's how it works. Um, someone please help me with this. <laughs> I'm joking. So if you'd like to connect on Instagram, do that. If you'd like to connect on Facebook, do that. And as always, I appreciate any rate, review, subscribe, support you can give for the podcast. Uh big hugs and big appreciation for you all, no matter what. Uh, So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Remy. You guys know that I take my desserts very seriously, and a key to my gluten-free baking is Otto's cassava flour. As a gluten and grain-free alternative, Otto's makes healthy baking easy and supports all types of lifestyles. Cassava flour acts as an easy replacement for typical wheat flours, making the transition to healthy baking even easier. I'm able to turn all of my old favorites healthy by making the quick and simple swap to autos, and the texture is truly impeccable. They do advise that when measuring by cups, reduce the volume by 25%, so instead of one cup of traditional all-purpose flour, use three-fourths of a cup cassava. And if you measure by grams, then it's simple. Do a one-to-one ratio swap. One thing to note, however, is that with yeast, things can get tricky. Thankfully, Autos has already done the work for you and has all the yeast-based recipes you'd need on their website. Easy as pie, no pun intended. (laughs) The first recipe I ever made the swap for was a chocolate cake. Can you believe it? My family doesn't follow the same healthy lifestyle as me, but I wanted to make a cake that we could all eat for the holidays. I took my then-favorite recipe and swapped the all-purpose flour for cassava flour, making it gluten-free and able for me to eat. It turned out so good that I had family members asking for the recipe. I've since then tricked them with healthy cookies, muffins, and more, all made with Otto's cassava flour. Some of my most popular recipes on Instagram actually are made with cassava flour, and I've since then turned many friends and family onto it too. The reason I love Otto's in particular is because their flour is of the highest quality and contains no fillers or odd ingredients, just 100% yucca, cassava, and water. 
To try this wonder flower for yourself and find joy in healthy baking again, head to their site at autosnaturals.com, where grain-free just got easy. And lastly, use code LETSTHRIVE, all capitals, for 15% off your order. It doesn't get better than that. You know, when I was thinking over your content and what I really appreciate about what you share and what you do, something I kept coming back to was just how intentional you are with, you know, the content you make and what you share and how you really live your life. So it's a bit of a curveball question I'm throwing in, but I'm just curious, like, (laughs) how would you describe yourself as like living life with intention? What does that mean to you per se? Living life with intention. Well, I think in terms of online, um, which is something that I think about all the time as someone who is on social media, I feel like it's really important to be in alignment online and offline. So that's something that I love to do. It's kind of a check-in. Um, if I'm posting something, is it something that feels true to me if I were to say it out loud or say it in person? And granted, there are things that are maybe easier to type out than to say to someone face-to-face. But I find that the way that I share online forces me to be the same person in real life as well. Um, and I've always been very comfortable being vulnerable offline. No, sorry, online. Um, but that, of course, forces me to face the reality of, oh my gosh, my friends and family are reading everything that I post too. And so in a way, it kind of bridges that gap. Um, but I think that's something that's really important. Everybody talks about how certain people have like an Instagram persona and then a real life persona. And I think it's really, really valuable to try and, you know, align the two. It's always fun to meet people uh, you know, like Instagram friends in real life, because like, sometimes it is surprising, you know, sometimes they are exactly as they seem. And sometimes it's a little bit different. So I agree. It's definitely, you know, not always easy, but worth it in the long run. And another thing is, I just think, you know, and I don't know if you intended to do this when you started Instagram and being on social media, but I feel like you just have a very intentional brand even to you. It's like, I know what to expect from you. It's, I don't know, like, I just feel like you've done a very good job of branding with your social media, whether that was intentional or not. So like, when did you get started on Instagram and going into it? Did you know, like, you know, what your brand was, what your intention was with the account? Well, thank you for the kind words, first of all. (laughs) Um, I think I will say that a lot of the branding element comes into play because it's really just like the colors that I love in real life. So it's easy for me, for example, like pink and blush tones. Um, I just love that color for real in real life. So everything in my house and my apartment is pink. Everything I wear is pink. Um, and I think that makes it easier. It feels a lot less contrived or like I'm going out of my way to find something pink or make something pink, for example. But I started my Instagram um, when I was in college, actually, and it was a private account. It was used as kind of like a healing log. Um, I had a psychiatrist I was working with on healing my eating disorder, and I just took pictures of my food as a method of showing her that I was complying with um, my meal plan, basically. And it was very private. The food pictures were not beautiful by any means. <laughs> I'm eating everything that I had to eat. So I think I was posting three times a day plus snacks sometimes, so like three to five posts a day. It really wasn't about, you know, keeping up with an algorithm or any kind of audience because I had one follower, which was her. Um, but it was really fun and I kind of used it as like an online journal as well because a long time ago, before that, I used to use Tumblr. Um, and before that, I had like uh, Zanga. I don't know if you're like too young to know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> Tumblr and Zanga and like things like that. I had always kind of been blogging and I always just felt better writing out my feelings somewhere. Um, no one was reading it, but it's just like sometimes typing it out is so therapeutic. 
Um, and so I kind of used it in that way too. Like I would share how I was feeling about each meal I had. If I had a struggle with a specific meal, for example, if it was a fear food of mine, I would make note of that and say, you know, this is a meal like, yes, I finished it or no, I didn't finish it. And here's how I felt about it. So it was really a detailed log of my healing. Um, and then because Facebook and Instagram, I guess, joined forces, everyone from my Facebook page found my Instagram account, which was pretty embarrassing. I also didn't know you could make your Instagram private, so that would have been helpful. But I didn't want to throw away the account because I'd made all these virtual friends who were going through the same exact thing. Either they were also vegan or also healing. Um, and so I just continued and I decided to make my page a little bit more friendly, <laughs> a little bit better looking and veganism was popping up around the same time. So I think timing just lined up really nicely. Um, people were asking questions about the recipe or how to make certain things. And they wanted to know like, why are you vegan? Or like, what does vegan even mean? So it really became kind of a fun outlet, um, a creative expression of my healing with food. I was excited about food for the first time in a very long time, um, excited to be cooking. And it was kind of like a motivation to keep posting. I felt like when I wasn't posting, I was letting people down. I mean, that's not really true, but it was kind of like, oh, people are really like following the story. I need to keep posting. Um, so that's how it started. And it kind of has just evolved into a little bit of everything, kind of the yoga side, the lifestyle. Um, yeah. I love that. And something I wanted to touch on was you mentioned you are vegan and you went vegan. So how did you go about doing that during, or I assume it was still when you were like recovering or late stages, I don't know what part, but how did you, you know, decide to, or what made you decide to go vegan and how did you do that while recovering, so to speak? Because I know, I know you have done it. I know others who have done it successful, but I also know others who it's, I don't know, it can be struggling when you're trying to recover and you also want to go that path. So I'm just curious to hear your experience with it. Yeah, that's a great question because I think there are a lot of people that approach it with the wrong mindset. I think with any diet or lifestyle change, it's always about intention. Um, But I will say like my recovery journey has been years and years and years. So by the time I became vegan, I was already kind of like five or six years into recovery, but it's always just like low level effort of recovery where I would see someone periodically like on and off because physically sometimes it wasn't translating that it was a serious issue anymore and it wasn't until college when I decided like I'm going to seriously like nip this in the butt get it over with fix it once and for all kind of thing and I mean that's not really how it works but I really committed to like healing fully and doing everything that I could um and so by that time I was already vegan um and obviously there was a little bit of skepticism from my psychiatrist just about reasons for being vegan and you know why I was choosing to kind of um limit or restrict you know, as they might say. But um, I think after like a long discussion with her, it was really apparent to her that it wasn't about the diet. It wasn't about eliminating foods from what I could eat or what I would eat. It was a lot more about just kind of the ethics and the compassion behind it. And so that was really important to me to have like values that I felt like if they were taken away, would just make eating a lot harder. And part of recovery is giving up control over your food. I think that's a really big element of it. You know, that's, the core of um, a lot of eating disorders is this like control aspect. So learning to let go of that is really important, but I think it was apparent to her that for me, it was not about numbers or calories or anything like that. Um, I was willing to eat a vegan version of whatever she wanted me to eat. So that was like a burger, pizza, cupcake, always cookies. I've always loved cookies, even when I had issues with food. So um, I think she should just see that it was really genuine for me. And honestly, it was crazy because that is sort of what helped me 
heal my relationship with food. I would say now I have the best relationship with food that I've ever had before because it made me feel really good about what I was eating. And the choice was kind of a positive reinforcement. I felt like every time I ate something, it was kind of a, a step for the animals or a step for the environment, for example. Um, and in a way, it was a little bit easier too, because when you're eating more plants, like whole plant foods, there are a lot less labels involved versus like processed food. And so there is less number to obsess over, you know? So in a lot of ways, it's actually been super beneficial for me, but I totally agree. It's, um, it's all about intention and all about where your mindset is at. And if it's not something you can take on, I don't feel like it's important to jeopardize your health for the sake of, you know, identifying with something. So I think, yeah, it's kind of tricky. You kind of have to be in a good position to take that on for sure. Um, but yeah, there's a vegan version of just about everything nowadays. So you could still be eating like burgers and all of that <laughs> and junk or whatever you'd like to call it. I love that. And as you said, it does all boil down to intention. That's why I wanted to start with that question because I had a feeling that you know, just most of what we talk about today, if, if you look at, if you boil it down, it's going to come back to intent. And I love that idea of, I had never really thought of it that way of like, yeah, you could still eat all these foods that, you know, I, you know, I hate to label things, but it's like, if, if you're trying to go vegan to just be quote unquote healthy, like, well, why don't you go vegan and still eat all the foods? Because like you said, there's just as many packaged foods that are vegan. And so that's a neat spin to put on it. And I think that could actually help a lot of people where, um, you know, you can still live up to your morals, your values, if you do want to go vegan plant-based, but at the same time, you can still give up that control of, you know, only eating certain foods, et cetera. But, um, you know, and I, I'm curious, you mentioned, which is true for a lot of us, that with eating disorders and all of that, a lot of it does come down to control and just wanting something, you know, whether it's your body, the food you're eating, the exercise you're doing to control. So was there something in your life that triggered that need for control? Uh, And, you know, if so, like, how did you work through that as you were recovering as well? So I think... I mean, after years of now thinking about, you know, eating disorder recovery and working on it, I've come to this conclusion that it's a combination of um, environment and biology. So I've been diagnosed with OCD and that's something that goes hand in hand with anorexia quite a lot because a lot of the, I guess, soul of those two disorders are very much similar. Um, There's a lot of comorbidity. So a lot of people that have OCD are common, um, commonly vulnerable to anorexia and vice versa. Um, so I definitely think that has a lot to do with it. There's that whole like ritualistic aspect control, of course, like the obsession, um, from the OCD that plays into that very, very nicely. Um, and I think that the age at which I developed it was pretty early on. It was around age seven. And that's when I moved overseas for the first time. So I think that it was maybe a combination of feeling like I wasn't in control of anything in my life. Um, everything around me was changing. It was completely different lifestyle, different country. I didn't speak the language at all. Um, never been to that country before I'd moved there and a combination of just like whatever my genetic predisposition was. So it's hard to say, like some people will develop it in response to stress. Um, for some people it starts way later in life. Some people it's really, really young. Um, but yeah, I can't really say that I had any kind of negative upbringing or anything like that. I think attitudes around food were always pretty positive. We always ate well, we ate a lot, you know, it wasn't like I was influenced by anyone in my life that ever told me, you know, you're too big or too whatever or anything like that. It's just, just kind of happened. Um, I think some of us are more vulnerable than others, but yeah. 
I agree a hundred percent. And I'm right there with you with the OCD. Uh, it's funny, you know, as you grow older and you just wonder, you know, like, why me? Why did that happen to me? And then, you know, you start to talk to family members or, you know, you go to therapy and suddenly you do realize like, okay, maybe I was <laughs> a bit more likely to go down this path in the first place. And it helps to give yourself compassion too, I think. Um, it's easy to beat, beat up yourself, you know, when you think mm-hmm. about the time and everything involved in eating disorders and recovery. But I think that's like one way trying to understand, you know, kind of how it all happened that you can really have some compassion for yourself. So I feel that. And, you know, I'm curious if for anyone struggling right now and or just say you could go back in time and tell your past self one thing about, you know, who she is or what she has to look forward to or, you know, why recovery is worth it. What would you say? Ooh, that's a good one. I feel like what's really important is just to find value in you. I think as young women, especially, there's just a lot of emphasis on your value being equivalent to your body or what you look like or your success, just everything external. And there's not as much emphasis on just your energy and your soul and who you are, you know, as a person in this world. And I think that's so important. Once you connect to that, I feel like that's when you can really appreciate wellness from just a bigger point of view um something more than just physical and what you can see or even just how you feel and health and physical health um yeah you really have to find the value in you and know that you're worth it and i think that's really hard i mean it's easier said than done for sure and something that i still work on actively but that i think was the moment that i really realized that what i was doing to my body was not okay. And I think also, had I known that a lot of these consequences would be so difficult to manage, um, even years after being, quote, recovered, I would have definitely had a second thought before doing these things. You know, when we're young, I think we don't think much about the consequences. Um, It's very simple. It's explained to us as like calories in, calories out, thinness, whatever it is, body shape, um, body size. And then when you get older, you realize there are important things like whether or not you can reproduce. Like that's a genuine concern for me, you know, hormones being imbalanced, which then surprise impacts your weight and your skin and things like that. So I think it's just really important not to mess with your body at all, period. But especially when you're young, because I actually have this issue now where I don't know what my natural state of body kind of is. For most of us, we have a good idea of like what our that body naturally looks like but for me I have no idea because it started way before I was even fully developed and that is something that I still have to deal with now whether or not I can reproduce obviously I still have acne hormonal acne sometimes I'm 25 years old and I kind of thought that at this age it'd be like a thing where I could be like I'm an adult now I don't have that anymore but these are real things that I still deal with and I wish I didn't have to but that's kind of the consequence of it so I feel like if people talked about that more versus just being like look if you ate less you could be skinny or whatever it is you wanted to be um, that this is the real consequence of what could happen. I would hope that less people would see that as a solution to, you know, bad body image. I mean, like you said, it's almost instead of living just for this, you know, whatever body size you want or weight you want to get to, it's like, yeah, we just don't consider the future and what can come of it. And I'm right there with you with the hormones and not knowing like what my body even is supposed to be like. It's, And, you know, something I talk a lot about on my page and with others is how hard it can be to kind of fall into body dysmorphia, even as you're recovering, because it's like, I don't know, is this my natural body? Am I, you know, like, is it not what, what to expect? And so I think 
yeah, like if we could just, I don't know, maybe stop and think about <laughs> like, what is this doing to me in the future? How is this going to affect me later in life? It probably would uh, make a lot of, or think again before they, you know, restrict or do any of these harmful things that we so often fall into. So. Absolutely. So, and then I'm curious, you said earlier that, you know, it did take you to time to do the work to come to this place where you kind of, it's like changing your values from external factors to internal factors and really focusing on what energy you're putting out into the world or your personality, like what you can offer people from the inside out. So have there been any practices or, you know, just things that really made you see that part of yourself and really tap into that, that side of who you are as a person? I think that something that still motivates me now is thinking about my future um, potential kids that I may have in the future, but also my younger sisters, because as I got older, I thought to myself, like, I hope my little sisters never go through this. I have two younger sisters. I hope they never go through this. And I hope that they're not influenced by the same things that I was. Um, When I see things in the media, when they talk about, you know, weight loss, crash diets, like all these things, I always make it a point to tell them like, look, all this stuff is bullshit. Sorry, I hope I'm okay. No, you're allowed to swear. Yeah, I'm usually <laughs> dropping swears. Like, I totally forgot to ask. No, you're okay. But, um, I always forget to mention it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I want to tell them, like, these flat tummy teas are absolute bullshit. I, I just, I never want them to fall for things that the media is putting out there. And so I have to be really intentional myself when I'm sharing content to remember that what I'm putting out there, other people's little sisters are seeing too. And coming from an eating disorder background, I think it's a little bit easier for me to be sensitive to what things could be perceived in the wrong way or what could be triggering. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really good motivator for me. It's like knowing that I'm an influence on other people, even when I don't realize it. So fortunately for me, I think my sisters were young enough when I was going through all of this that they didn't really understand what was going on. They weren't affected at all by, you know, what I was doing or how I was eating. My sisters actually, one of them eats so well, um, loves food, absolutely loves food, never had an issue with it. And she's also really great about kind of, um, how do you say, speaking back to my grandma, not talking back, but speaking back to my grandma when my grandma will say something like, oh, you shouldn't eat that, it's unhealthy, or, you know, are you sure you want to eat that extra whatever food? And she's like, yeah, I absolutely do. And I think that's so awesome because I never had the confidence to do that when I was younger. She just has so much love for herself and so much confidence in who she is as a person and knows that food and body images, you know, they don't matter. These things don't matter. She has so much self-worth and I think that's incredible so it's always been a goal of mine to try and encourage that in other people um not just younger people but people my age because a lot of us are still lacking that at this age you know 25 and above I even have people who are you know 40 and up who will message me and say things like wow this was so insightful I've lived all these years thinking that you know food was just calories and that is so fulfilling to me so I think that's what I focus on now and that's what continues to motivate me to heal um yeah as silly as it sounds like the people that were following my journey on Instagram that was inspiration for me too just feeling like I was accountable for something and I think it is really true because what we put out is what we want to see more of in the world and I can complain about the media being terrible and all these things but it's not something I can complain about if I'm not doing anything about it so I try and think of it that way Um, But the little sister rule, what I like to call it in that is so helpful for me to just make sure that what I'm sharing is valuable content and something that I would want my little sisters to see. So I don't know if that answers the question, but hopefully. Yeah, it did. Because I mean, when you start to value things outside of yourself, you're in like internally, you start to change. So it's like, instead of 
health just being about a body shape or size, it suddenly becomes like, okay, I want to educate, and inspire others to, you know, just care more about like what they're doing with their life and to not, you know, just spend so much time obsessing over the calories and the body shape and stuff. So yeah, I, that did answer it. And I, I absolutely love that, the little, little sister rule. I think that's so sweet. And I think oftentimes we, we downplay how much of an influence we have on the people, you know, whether it's the people in our personal life, friends, our social circle at work, uh, you know, or if you're online. I mean, I thought for the longest time that since I only had, you know, X amount of followers, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really influencing. Uh, and then you start to realize over time that you are, I mean, even when you go to work and you bring, you know, this amount of, you bring this food or you mention this diet culture, like it all adds up. And so it, it all matters. And I love that rule that you put into place, the little sister rule. I think we could all practice that a bit more. <laughs> Was it during like your eating disorder years that your relationship with alcohol started or, you know, when did that really begin for you? So I would say alcohol was something that came after the eating. So the eating disorder started at seven. And then the first time I drank was like 12, 13. Um, it was kind of a unique situation because I lived in Asia and in the country that I lived in, it was easy access to anything you wanted, basically, and kind of considered normal almost. So there wasn't much else to do. Um, it was the norm to go to different clubs, um, go to bars, and you could pay like a really small amount for a completely open bar and drink whatever you wanted. So nightmare when you pair it with like young kids who don't know any better um so it started that way but I think that there's a specific experience that I had on one of my very first nights out that kind of set the tone for the rest of my relationship with all substances which was basically that I went out with someone um who was older than me and I drank a ton I didn't feel great I was like this is crazy it was like basically my first time drinking um liquor like hard liquor and then I was given something that um was supposedly like Tylenol or Advil letter, which turns out was actually ketamine, um, which is a really serious drug. But then after that point, it kind of felt like everything that I thought was once scary, I had already done. And so my kind of barrier for what I wouldn't, wouldn't do just kept going down. I didn't think things were scary anymore. I was like, well, I've already done it. It wasn't that bad. Here we are. So that became my normal. I just would go out all the time. Um, I think I also used it as like a little bit of a coping mechanism because what I thought was normal or what I thought was acceptable um, behavior from other people um, or acceptable treatment from other people was definitely not normal, but I think I kind of knew that and I was coping with that a little bit. So it was definitely fun for a period of time. I'm not going to lie. Like I had a lot of great times. I had great nights. I don't remember most of it, unfortunately, but there was a point at which I realized it was more of a problem, which was when I would drink alone. Because before that, I never really enjoyed like the taste of alcohol. And even when I was drinking alone, I didn't enjoy the taste of it. I just loved being able to not really know where I was, kind of let go of everything and forget. I would literally wake up the next day and have no idea what happened the day before. And I kind of loved that. It was just, um, yeah, it was like a little bit of an escape. I've definitely had issues with depression and self-harm as well. So I think that for me was a great way to pass the time without doing anything that was self-harming, even though substance abuse is self-harm as well. <laughs> but to me, it was like, oh, this is way better. Like, I will pass out, wake up the next day, and I'm not going to remember it all, you know? So um, I think my relationship evolved a little bit over the years, but that's when I realized it was more of an issue. It wasn't a social thing anymore. It was very much 
a coping mechanism. It was something I would do alone, um, something that I felt like I couldn't really function without. And I definitely didn't think I had a problem, but I was very good at lying about it. And I think that that's something you learn to do when you have any kind of issue, whether it's a disorder or, you know, um, an addiction to a substance or whatever it is you're addicted to. Um, yeah, so that's how I knew I had a problem. It wasn't until I got into college and came back to the U.S. that I realized all these things that I thought were normal were definitely not normal. Um, you know, I would meet new people and you'd just be talking about high school and be like, oh, you never did that before? And I realized, no, these things are not normal. Um, so it's a little crazy to me. I've been sober for more years than I've been legally able to drink. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad it happened when I was younger, to be honest, because when I got older, I realized how important things are in life. Like, I'm really glad I didn't have to pay taxes or rent or worry about things like that when I was having those issues. Um, but it's definitely forced me to grow up a little bit more quickly too. I love that. And during those times, did anyone ever try to approach you about like, Hey, I think this might be an issue or was it just seen as, you know, kind of like a common, a common thing? I think a mix of both. Um, you know, the friends that I had, the company that I kept were definitely into the same things that I were, maybe worse even. So there was a lot of positive reinforcement in a sense around everything that I was doing. It was like, yeah, let's do it again. You know, nobody thought that I had a problem. Um, I actually met my boyfriend when I was in high school and still dealing with these issues. And he was very much on the other end of the spectrum where he could drink casually, but didn't really enjoy it. He loved to see people drunk or using any kind of substance. He was super against me smoking, even cigarettes and things like that. So I would say he influenced me a lot in a really positive way, but I don't think it was until college that I really took it and saw the contrast and understood that even at clubs, my behavior was not normal. Um, I think that was really helpful for me. I think there were a couple of people that had reached out, um, but for the most part, I was really good at hiding it because, yeah, I think it was something that I knew was wrong. I also never really told my parents about it until after recovery. And I had this long conversation, which was basically like, hey, I've hidden all these things from you, but I wrote a blog post, so you're going to read about it. So I'm going to tell you first. So these are all the things that happen. And it's like, you know what's wrong in the moment. You know that you're going to disappoint people that love you. And I think um, even though you're definitely caught up in the addiction, you know at the back of your head that it's something that isn't great. Um, but yeah, my boyfriend definitely helped me a lot. Um, I hid some things from him as well, just because it's like I felt like I didn't deserve him being there for me and I didn't want to let him down but knowing that there was someone who's there for me from the beginning um, until now has been really really sweet because he's seen the full transformation um, and yeah he's he's great he's been with me through the very very ugly and now <laughs> the better um, so I think yeah having good people around you is really important and it's important to stay in recovery for yourself but also for the people around you because these things impact you but also everyone that loves you and that's something that I've learned over the years exactly and I'm curious did you have to work on rebuilding like any of those relationships or just returning the trust to it you know you said you meant you you kept a few things well you kept it from your parents and then you kept a few things from your boyfriend and I think you know a lot of us like you said do that we we hold it in because we have shame over it or guilt or we just don't want people to know so you know, when it was said and done, did you have to work on replacing that trust, you know, rebuilding that relationship to the point where, you know, they, they knew like, okay, she's not hiding anything. She's, she's really getting better at this point. I think, um, with a blog, it's pretty apparent to my family and boyfriend that I'm pretty much an open book. I think there have been a few occasions in which, you know, I wrote 
like a 10 part blog series, which was just focused on sobriety and kind of my story and my journey. And there were some parts of that that I guess are just details that I didn't remember to bring up, for example. And so there were times where he would text me and be like, hey, I just heard your blog. I didn't know about that part, you know, but there's always this understanding that that was a different time in my life. And he knows too. And I tell this to him all the time that people who are addicts are really great liars. And same with recovery, because at the core, you're also lying to yourself about having a problem. Um, and yes, it's definitely very hurtful. Um, and in most situations, you really have to work to earn back that trust. But I think that he really knows and sees me in this good place and understands that I'm not hiding anything from him. And I'll be super transparent if I'm having a moment. Um, when I quit my job, for example, that was a moment at which I thought this feels a lot like relapse. And um, I just told him openly, I was like, hey, I'm having these thoughts, I'm having these urges. And I think those moments are really important because that's what builds the trust and just, yeah, keeps it strong. Yeah, just open communication and being honest with yourself. I mean, that's amazing to be able to be honest with yourself and think I could kind of relapse here if I let myself and then being honest with him and saying that too. So I think that is so important. And, you know, you mentioned he's kind of been with you through the transition of, you know, kind of you at that point and you where you're at now. So how would you describe like the personality shift? So the difference, you know, between like, what would you say is the biggest difference between how you are now, how you put yourself out in the world now and how you did that back then in your, you know, so to speak, darkest of days, I suppose. Well, it's really interesting, actually, because I think that alcohol made me a lot more extroverted than I really am. So something that's a little bit funny to me is that I had a lot of friends from like the clubs and stuff that I couldn't really hang out with once I got sober because I really didn't have anything in common with them other than we would like to like dance at the club together, for example. We just had no common ground otherwise. And so I definitely lost a lot of friends. Um, But it was because they weren't the right friends for me. It's not to say that we had a falling out per se, but it's just you know, sometimes you realize that if you're behaving like a different person when you are on some substance or drinking, um, that's not the real year, or maybe it is, you kind of have to figure that out yourself. Um, But I think that one of the biggest changes for me has just been protecting myself from what's not for me. Um, And that looks like people, that looks like situations, um, that looks like, you know, involvement with people in general. And in the past, I've always been very introverted, but I would never speak up for myself. And this is something that I'm still working on now, but I think that has a lot to do with just the way that I heal because when we internalize things, it's basically like a disrespect to yourself by not expressing and letting go of things. You're just taking it on, holding it in, and that really does impact your health. So whether that's physical or energetically, I mean, it all it all needs to go somewhere and the best is to let it out. Um, so I still work on that now, but for the most part, it's just being comfortable communicating my story sharing openly, which is something that I'm really comfortable with doing on Instagram, which is great. And also just picking the right people to share my energy with, because I only have so much. and I know that about myself now. And when my energy is low, or I feel like I don't have good people around me, that's when kind of the bad habits creep up. So you need the right people in your life to hold you accountable, um, to feed your energy and not deplete it. So I think that that's something that I do now. It's like I'm actively looking out for myself and ways to kind of protect myself, sort of. Um, Whereas before, I would just kind of go with the flow. And I was definitely the one doing the most destruction <laughs> as far as my own health. I love that. It, it is so true that I always like to bring up the fact of, you know, whatever it is they say where you're the, you're comprised of the 
five people you spend the most time with, what, what, however they say that. But I think it is so true. I mean, just when you take a look at who you're surrounding yourself with, what, you know, type of energy they are, how they react, you can see so many, you know, ways that it overlaps with your own. And that can really go to show, you know, <laughs> whether they're good, good for you or maybe not so good. And, you know, I'm curious, you said that a lot of it is taking a look at your surroundings and just, you know, learning to speak, speak up for yourself and everything. So have you gone about setting up boundaries, so to speak, you know, whether that is with friends, family, work, even yourself to keep yourself protected in that state of, you know, not overextending yourself or not, yeah, I guess not overextending yourself really. And just kind of keeping your energy and your you know, own well-being as like a priority for your wellness. Yeah, I think there are some non-negotiables in my life that I like to keep control of. And that, that plays into a little bit of the control. Like, I think it's okay to know your personality type and give into that in, in a healthy way, basically. So there are some non-negotiables and things that I know that I have to do and make time for that will keep me at my best and at my 100% because that's really important to just stay in recovery, I think. Um, but things I do, basically, I am just mindful of the way that things make me feel. So when I think about work or project, it's that first initial gut feeling. How does it make you feel? If you feel a little bit of like hesitance towards it, it's probably not for you. And just really learning to trust that. Um, I try not to think about, you know, the money or success or anything like that. I think about how does it make me feel? How is it going to make me feel? Um, and I think, you know, I'm fortunate enough to say that with the work that I'm doing, all of it is content that I'm creating. My heart really has to be in it. My energy has to be behind it. So if that doesn't translate in the way that I feel, I feel like it's just not for me. So I try to be a little bit more mindful and choosy about that. Also practicing saying no, which is really hard for me. Um, and also expressing myself in the moment. I am very much the type of person that will not express how I'm feeling at the very moment, but I'm working on that. There's a lot of like throat chakra blockage that I'm trying to open up. Um, so that means communicating my feelings immediately. Like if someone does something that makes me a little bit upset, even if I feel like it's not a big deal, I feel like it's worth saying and it's worth communicating. So if you feel like you can't do that, either assess the relationship or assess why you feel like you can't do that. It's either not the right friendship for you and you're not safe in it, or it's just you have some work to do. So I'm still working on those things. Um, but yeah, bottom line for me is like, make sure I have all of my non-negotiables in order. And then whatever else I have time for is then what I can take on on top of that. And it's interesting that you mentioned work because I would say that's kind of the reason why I decided to leave my corporate job. I actually went back to rehab because I knew that I didn't have enough time to take care of myself day to day. And that really took a toll on my recovery. I felt it creeping back up and I was like, I need to get this under control. Because if I can't give my 100% to myself, I cannot do 100% anything, whether it's like work or giving back to my relationships. Um, so yeah, I took like a month off um, initially and I just dedicated that time to rehab and, you know, even kind of distanced myself from my relationship. And I was like, I need to date myself right now, get myself back to 100%. Um, and now when I think about it, I'm not the type of person that is like, I will never work for someone again. That's really not what it was about for me at all. It's kind of just happened to pick up during that time that I was in rehab and had more availability to kind of just create freely. Um, it's more about for me, whether or not the job fulfills me and whether or not the job allows me to have balance and time for self-care. And that's honestly quite a luxury. And I know that not everyone's able to prioritize that, but I also know that for me, um, keeping recovery in mind, if I don't have that, I will unravel really quickly. So yeah, it's a delicate balance. Um, right now what I'm doing is incredible. It definitely fulfills me and it's, 
absolutely a part of my healing. Like I love this platform because I feel like it is the physical manifestation of my healing journey. Um, and it's something that I would do whether or not it was something that was making an income for me. So I think that is a common thing we can see where, you know, whether you're, whatever it is, when you just feel like you're being, you're on an endless cycle, it's out of control, you know, whether that's work, uh, you know, kids, family, whatever it is. And it's just kind of taking over, not giving you time to prioritize, you know, your own well, your own wellness, slowing down, whatever. That's when we do look for something to control because, you know, we can't control the fact that we're waking up at 4am and staying up till 10pm because our corporate job is overrunning our life. Like we can't control that, but we can control the, the drink we have or the disordered eating habits, the exercise addiction, whatever it may be. So I think that's wonderful. And you know, like you said, not everyone has the privilege, but if you can take the time, whether it's, you know, a month or a week or one weekend where you could just like, so slow down and say, okay, like, what do I need right now? What's going on? How do I feel? And just be honest with yourself. I think it can really help to kind of keep you from falling back down, you know, whether it's in old habits or old thoughts, old patterns, whatever they may be. So I think that is important. And I love what you said about Instagram being a manifestation of your recovery because that is true. Like it fault that's why I think I love following you so much is because it's just so open and it just feels so authentically you because you are just sharing, you know, whatever comes up and I just I think you do a very good job of being 100% you with it and just everything you choose to do it just always hits home. So I love it. Thank you. That means that's like the most powerful compliment. I think for me, it's not like you have nice photos, but it's more just like that. It feels genuine and that you really resonate with like the words, you know, the intention, the message. Cause I think that's the most important part of Instagram, even though it's all about the visuals and the photos, but for me personally. So thank you. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, the, the visuals and the photos do play a part and you know, when it comes to having it be more business minded, I think that's, you know, where it can really play into part, but connecting with the community and having the audience that's super engaged and just, you know, loves you for you. That comes from like the captions and the stories and all the personal little bits. So yeah, love it. But, um, you know, I am curious, you've had a few exciting, I mean, you always have something exciting going on, (laughs) Um, but you did the shirts a while ago and I know you have a retreat coming up. So could you just share some of the like exciting projects you're doing? Anything that you want people to know about? Maybe look into if they're interested. Yeah. So as of right now, unfortunately, this is now we're in March, by the way. In case okay. anyone's looking for yes. later, but March, um, things are not looking great with the virus. So my gut tells me we should postpone it, and that's kind of the plan for right now, just because whether or not it's safe to go to Tulum in Mexico, which is where we we're planning to do it, I think just increasing the need to travel and fly and be in places like that, like hubs of just like tons of people from all over the place. I just don't feel like it's a great thing to do. And, you know, the energy behind like all of the stress and worry, I don't think that's something that we want to bring to a retreat. You know, we don't want to have to worry about sanitizing our hands. So we're supposed to be letting go and just, you know, surrendering, surrendering and everything. So right now that's on hold, which at first was a little bit of a bummer, but I think it's one of those things that has forced me to kind of just come to terms with knowing that everything can change and just just disconnect from everything and non-attachment, which is really important. So unfortunately that's off the table for now, but definitely in the near future, we hope. 
Um, but other things that I'm working on, I'm really enjoying just creating things that live a little bit more tangibly. So ebooks, things that are just um, stuff that I've like created, you know, and I feel like I could really call my own. I love that I have my own website because I feel like when Instagram's down for a sec <laughs> or YouTube's doing some crazy algorithm, like I own my own website. So I love like having more things like that. I'm working on um, an ebook, which should be coming out maybe late spring, early summer. And then I'm also working on a physical book, which is going to be a much longer term project. I don't have full details about that yet, but that should be something that I'll be in the works um, soon. So yeah, other than that, I just, I'm always creating recipes. Um, I just love being able to like create. And I think it's so cool that we have all these platforms that we can use to create so much diverse content, like a video, text, like audio even, and like photos, you know, it's all just so much fun to me to be able to create so always working on little things but <laughs> for now everything is tbd and i'm totally okay with that yeah it it's so funny i don't know sometimes you know when we're so excited for something we have such big plans you just never think it would get um thrown off track i mean i guess actually as i'm saying that that's how we all felt with you know expo west for example but mm-hmm. it just it is very humbling you know uh when these things pop up and so i'm sorry to hear about the retreat but who knows, maybe some other amazing opportunity will pop up and it'll all make sense. But you said that you were mentioning, you know, like all the different forms of communication and ways we're sharing. Is there any, you know, way of sharing, I suppose, that you want to get more into in 2020? Like whether that's, you know, video, audio on Instagram, the IGTV, I don't even know what all's available right now. But I'm just always curious to learn like what people are getting interested in, what they feel is going to be like the next, not the next big thing, but the next uh, sort of kind of big thing. I, okay, I've been playing around with TikTok, but only because I have a younger sister and I'm young. (laughs) They're like my youth consultant, but I feel like it's really important to kind of just, I'm not saying jump on everything that comes up that's new, but I think resistance to new things is something that we shouldn't have because things change all the time. I mean, if we were really resistant to change, we wouldn't be on Instagram, you know, and I love Instagram. It's like my favorite platform, probably where I like spend most of my time, but I also have so much fun, like creating different things and creating in different formats. So like short form videos on TikTok that are shot with just my phone. It's just so low lift and low pressure for me that I'm not even whipping out like my full DSLR camera. I'm not editing it on my computer. So that's kind of fun. Um, I love YouTube videos, honestly. Like I think it's such a different way of creating. It's like visuals, but beyond just a still image, it's like a whole storyboard. And I don't know. I love creating YouTube videos just for fun. I'm definitely not very strategic about them. And I will just post kind of sporadically, which I'm also working on in 2020. (laughs) But um, love that. And I kind of, I mean, I had toyed with the idea of working on a podcast for a while, but honestly, I think that I have to be a little bit more selective about like what things I'm going to focus on. I kind of feel like if you do it all, you're not doing anything. You know what I mean? So um, I'm going to be a little bit more particular about that one, but I've always loved being on podcasts. So I love when I'm able to chat with friends or when someone often invites me on their podcast, it's just like such a pleasure. I get to feel like I'm part of a podcast without having to have my own because it's a lot of work. Like I really commend you. I know that a lot goes into it and you know, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. But um, those are, I guess, my favorite things. I also love 
graphic design, I'll play with that on like my iPad just for fun. Um, and I have a couple of social media clients that I'll do graphic design work for every now and again, like very basic, but it's fun for me. And, you know, photography that doesn't go on Instagram, I think it's also a lot of fun because sometimes you're creating just to create and you're not creating for your audience necessarily. So it's okay to kind of shift with your aesthetic. Um, and that's always really fun. So I feel like even if you're a creator, it's important to have time to create on the side because when you take creation full time, it's not really an outlet anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah. think but I would love to hear about yours because I'm curious if there's anything that you're doing fun. I'm yeah. gonna add to my list. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, I mean, honestly, this podcast, I feel like my my thing now is just trying to make the podcast more I don't know, like more more me, but like what you were saying about how when you try to do it all you just end up going nowhere. That's definitely how I felt starting this because I just, I was in the mindset of, I just need to start it. I'll figure it out as I go. And I just feel like I haven't taken the time until probably like within the last three months to really ask myself, like, what am I even trying to really get across, you know, with these episodes and not to say I wasn't doing that, but I'm just trying to put a lot more intention into it now. So my thing for 2020 is just to really amp up the podcast, just, you know, make it the best I can do. And then I've started to really love videos too, like what you were saying about just even like short ones, quick ones. So I don't know. I'm just, I have to figure out, like, I've never done the, whatever it is, IGTV. I'm so not tech savvy, um, (laughs) even for having a podcast, but I'd love to just do, not a YouTube, I couldn't do a YouTube, but just share more like videos on Instagram, you know, like do more face con I just I feel like you can get so much more out of a connection with that like video scene versus just a still picture so that's something oh yeah I'm exploring in 2020 like just getting more comfortable in front of the camera not just as a voice behind a podcast so (laughs) Mm, I love that and I think it's really interesting too a lot of people are really hesitant about video I think a big part of that is like when you're on video, you're giving a lot more of yourself away. So whether or not you believe in energies, I really feel like virtually there is an energy transfer too. Like writing a caption that's heartfelt and sharing a photo and then engaging with everyone after, there's definitely an energy transfer there, even like across the internet and the World Wide Web or whatever, your phone. Um, I think the same applies for video, but even more so because you're putting yourself out there and the energy that goes into creating a video, especially if you're talking in it, that's, I mean, it's just so much more deep and there's just so much more involved in that but I'm curious to know why you say no YouTube because I feel like a lot of people are scared and they think they can't but the reality is it's just like any other platform and the hardest thing to do is just post your first one but once you do it's like you know it's just being a little bit more fearless about doing the first one and going from there and knowing that once you start it's going to get so much easier. It's funny so I have a friend who started YouTube I don't know a couple months ago and I think it's something I had toyed with the idea of doing it originally. And then I started the podcast and I just realized that I really love interviewing people, you know, really sharing uh, the stories of others and then being able to put my input in through my questions and then also in my introductions. But with the YouTube, I don't know. I just feel, I feel like it's not my place to go. And after talking about it with, you know, my friend who does it, I just, I don't know. I, I think it'd be fun to show up on someone's YouTube like once or twice, uh, you know, maybe when I go stay with her. But overall, I just, I feel like 
I don't know. I just feel like it'd be fun to do for a bit, but it's not, it's not like podcasting. Like podcasting just lights me up. I loved doing it. I could do it all the time, but I don't know. I just, I don't feel that way with YouTube and maybe I just have to start and see from there, but I don't know. I, and I feel like so many people are doing YouTube nowadays that I'm just like, oh, I'll let them do it. I'll keep with the podcast, but you never know. Maybe someday. <laughs> That's how I feel about podcasting. It's so fun. But yeah, I think everyone definitely can resonate with a different platform and the kind of energy that you share and what it takes to create and just what that format is. But it's funny because I wouldn't say that I'm like a YouTube person. When I think of a YouTube person, it's like this extroverted, outgoing, like crazy loud person that's doing like fun things every single day. And I'm very reserved, actually. Like, I'm not really that animated when I talk even. And I'm definitely not extroverted. I don't like filming myself in public or like shouting at the camera like I'll look at my own videos and I just post it and I don't watch I'm like that's it once it's up I'm not watching it I can't watch it again so embarrassing um but I'm on it you know so I feel like part of it is just like knowing that anything can be for you but yeah if it doesn't feel intuitive or doesn't feel good to you then obviously create where you can I will say that's one platform I have never understood and just never felt aligned with with Twitter (laughs) I don't get it I've never been on it I've got the app and deleted it um I think three times now like I'll get on and within like two days I'm just I don't I don't know I just don't I don't understand it I yeah so I I feel you on that one um Twitter is not not our thing but well then where can everyone find you whether that is on Instagram YouTube uh I think those are your oh and your website your website too um, so they can learn more, connect, just keep up to date on everything and see what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is at veggiekins, um, veggie and then K-I-N-S. It's so funny. People always think that like it means something. It doesn't mean anything. It's just one random word that I came up with. Um, so veggiekins on Instagram, YouTube is the same, veggiekins. And my blog is veggiekinsblog.com where I have all my recipes and like the sobriety series that I mentioned. Um, a lot more like long form content, which I love. There's just so much more room to kind of express there. Um, I'm on Pinterest too. And that's probably surprisingly one of my big, biggest platforms, even though I don't spend as much time on there. But that's a great one if you like to save things and you're like very image heavy and you just love recipes and like saving that. Um, and then I guess TikTok, which is my newest one. And I don't know, I'm not super consistent, but I love scrolling. I'm like a lurker on TikTok, but it's also veggiekins. <laughs> I love that. TikTok's another one I've, I've been so resistant to. And after, you know, listening to you speak, I'm like, maybe I just need to get on it to try it, but um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) it has been such a pleasure to talk with you. You're so inspiring, so empowering. I just, I love this and you're so multidimensional. So just thank you immensely. And I know people will love it. I'm so glad. Yeah. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been fun. Um, like I said, I love pretending like I am part of a podcast or just like flexing my little podcast muscle by just being on other people's genuine podcasts. So yeah, thank you for having me. And yeah. We- what an episode we covered so much. And I loved the dual topic of, you know, not only alcoholism, but eating disorder recovery and just Two things that oftentimes correlate but aren't always talked about together. So I hope that resonated. Um, I apologize if the audio was a little quiet, a little scratchy. We were having some technical difficulties. (laughs) The pleasures of recording virtual all the time with Zoom. But we'll make it work. We'll make it happen. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Either way, you can find Remy on Instagram at Veggiekins. And I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. 
remember, you can join the Facebook group, uh, Teach Me How to Use It Properly in the, in the meantime. And if you want to support the show further, you can always leave a rate and review or even subscribe on Apple Podcasts means the world and is really the only way the podcast grows. Also, if you share on your stories, that's always a plus. Um, I'd love to connect. I'd love to chat. You guys know I appreciate my community so much. And so let me know what you're thinking, what you'd like to see, or just, you know, a little daily chat. I'm up for anything. Uh, I appreciate you all so much and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.